0: This morning, we're going to uh, begin a new four, uh, four-part series of messages based on the theme, Plug Into the Power. And I, I really believe that the vast majority of churches that are plateaued or dying in this country, and statistically, that's about 85% of all churches in America today are either seriously in a plateau or declining, um, and I think the one of the reasons is we get our priorities mixed up. Every congregation has a primary priority and secondary priorities, and the primary priority of every church should be doing whatever it takes to effectively grow the kingdom of God by introducing people to Jesus Christ. Secondary priorities can be all the kinds of ministries that we choose to do, but I think a lot of churches confuse the secondary priority and the primary one, and I think sometimes the tail wags the dog. Some churches don't do either very well, and they're fighting for survival, whether that's financially or just with sheer numbers. But today in this series that we're going to begin, we're going to be talking about the marks of a dynamic church, characteristics that matter for a church to be vital and healthy in today's world. And we're going to be talking about things like worship and prayer and generosity and serving But here's the reality, I don't know of any churches that are doing these things really well that are struggling to survive. I don't don't know one that's doing these things well that are struggling, most often the opposite is true. Being a vital congregation is really not all that complicated, it just means keeping the main thing the main thing. So I hope that you'll tune into this series and as we look to what God is calling us to be and to do as a congregation. Let's bow in a moment of prayer, shall we? God of grace, we open our hearts and our minds and our souls today to worship you. We thank you that today we are part of your kingdom and we just get to worship here in your presence. So thank you that as we gather together, we join with Christians from all over across the world to glorify your holy name. Come be with us, inspire us, lead us in this time together. We pray through Christ our Lord amen our congregation has added a lot of new families in the last few years and one of my fears is as the church grows larger we could easily become a church of friendly strangers we know that in today's culture only about 20 to 30 percent of people in this country attend church anywhere on a weekend and it's difficult for a person who has little or no experience in a local church to get up on Sunday morning to drive to a church like ours to park to walk through those doors it's a little scary for some folks and wonder who wonder what they will encounter when they walk into a new place with a new bunch of people that's why it works better when we invite someone to come with us it's not so intimidating if a guest knows someone on the inside. So getting through the front door is one thing, but helping people to make friends and to be at home, to feel like they're welcomed as part of the group, is another. Maybe for some of you today, you can identify with that. You can understand. Perhaps you remember the theme song from the popular television show a few years ago, Cheers, one of the lines said, you wanna be where you can see that troubles are all the same, You want to go where everyone knows your name. That show was set in a bar in Boston, resonated with viewers because it touched a need that we all feel, and that is to know and to be known. The pool of that neighborhood bar was not necessarily the alcohol, but the friendship that it offered. It claimed to be a place where troubles were all the same and everybody knew your name. Some years ago, the government surveyed returning prisoners of war to discover the worst part of their time in confinement. It wasn't the torture that they mentioned. It wasn't the brainwashing or any of those really bad things that we imagine that prisoners of war go through. What the survey showed was that in the end, the worst part for them was the isolation, sometimes for months on end, the forced separation from trusted comrades. More than anything else, that drove POWs to the point of despair. We should not be surprised at that, since we know for a long time that God made us to be social creatures. We were not made to live entirely alone. We were made for friendship, for family, for deep, caring relationships, and when we don't find that, we search high and low until we do. I'm sure you've heard it said that home is where you go and they have to take you in. (laughs) Well, that may or may not be true. When my parents still lived in western Pennsylvania and Jan and I would pack up the kids and go for a visit, we were always welcomed. It was home. But when Jan and I left the church that we grew up in and became United Methodists, we were not welcomed back home. A few of the people in that church that where we had very deep roots, still loved us and cared about us, but the church rejected us. So sometimes we can't go home again. And in that congregation that has been dying for the last 50 years, there was no sense of unity with other denominations. There was no sense that the kingdom of God was bigger than their own congregation. They just didn't get what an Acts 2 church is all about sadly i get into a lot of churches today that are very much like that they are not places of health and vitality they're not places that are attracting new people and even if they do they're not very hospitable to new people who do come they're not generous they're not outward focused they lack a clear vision they don't have an enthusiasm for ministry they are more often than not plateaued and dying congregations how different from what the church was designed to be acts 2 in the new testament offers us a brief snapshot of the first century church in fact this is the very earliest picture of what christianity was designed to look like in a church that has just discovered the power of the holy spirit at pentecost there was excitement there was incredible ministry that began to happen The Apostle Peter had just preached to the crowd in Jerusalem and he laid out for his listeners the message of Jesus as the Messiah. And then he calls them to repent of their sins, to turn to God, and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that they had received the forgiveness of sins. So I want to pick up the story for you today in Acts chapter 2 beginning with verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need they worshiped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved I am impressed by the first and last verses of this passage verse 41 tells us that the church began with 3,000 conversions in one day. Can you imagine a membership class like that? I'm just dreaming of that, you know, a membership class with 3,000 people. Verse 47 says that people were being saved and added to the church daily. Now the verses in between describe what happens when God breaks loose in a group of ordinary people. This is not about religion or ritual, but the reality of Christ at work among us. So with this passage as the foundation, I'd like us to look together quickly today at five marks of a great church. First, a great church has solid grounding in the word of God. Luke reports that the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That meant they put a high priority on knowing the truth what that means for me is that simply the word of god is the foundation of the church we don't depend on the latest gallup poll or the whims of public opinion or the culture of madison avenue or hollywood to decide what we believe and what we're going to do god still guides his church today through his inspired totally truthful word And because the Bible is the word of God, we must consult it as we face difficult decisions. When thinking about the future of our church, the leaders, the staff, the congregation should be always asking, what does God say about this? We must seek to know what God has said in his word and then prayerfully apply that to our situation. Let me illustrate. It is our conviction, it's the conviction of Um, most churches that all life is sacred in the eyes of God and deserving of our protection. Where did that conviction come from? Certainly not from some of the people and organizations that we've seen in the news lately. We came to that truth by discovering what God says about unborn human life. I would invite you to hear the words of Psalm 139. This is the psalmist speaking to God. He said, you made me You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed ditto for a host of other contemporary issues that our nation and our churches are struggling with today these are challenging times so i encourage you to read the bible not just listen to the media we are a people who value the word of god as the foundation of what we believe and practice therefore we don't have focus groups and We don't do opinion polls to decide what we believe we stand on the word of God. But in truth, not everyone agrees with a high view of scripture. One local newspaper in a critical piece commented that some churches don't wish to be called progressive. Now I know today's world, that's a political code word for not being conservative. But here at Redeemer, I think we are progressive in our methods and in our willingness to risk And to grow while being biblical and true to our Wesleyan heritage. Sometimes it's said that the church is 20 years behind the time. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's not exactly true. We're trying real hard to be 2,000 years behind the times because if we can do that we'll discover the same power that animated the early church and enabled it to grow at a phenomenal pace. There's an old hymn that says, How firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. And that's true. And every one of us ought to be asking this question, am I learning what God says in the Bible? And am I applying that to my own life? Secondly, a great church has vital and life-transforming worship. Vital worship played an important role in the life of the first century church. Our text makes this clear in two ways. Verse 42 and 46 mention sharing meals together with great joy and generosity, followed by the Lord's Supper. And verse 47 adds that they were praising God. This whole passage seems to suggest that there was this sustained atmosphere of praise and worship that permeated the early church. They didn't have just one stated worship service on the weekend, but they gathered daily to sing, to praise, to share communion together, and we get the sense that this was very active worship. The church understood that worship is a verb. It's not passive, it's active, it's participatory. And our our text also indicates that it was uplifting worship. Verse 43 said the people had a deep sense of awe as they met together people came with a mixture of fear and excitement they wondered what God was going to do next but it was also attractive worship we learn in verse 47 that the early Christians had enjoyed the goodwill of all the people even unbelievers were amazed at the things they saw and heard and they wanted to know more this is not about an issue of style traditional or contemporary or anything else after all the worship in Acts chapter 2 was synagogue worship brought over then later into the early church, and if we were somehow if we were transported back in time, we probably would not understand their songs, maybe even their scripture readings or their message. And yet God blessed their worship, and he filled it with his Holy Spirit. And I take from that a simple test for worship today. When we come to worship, does worship whet our appetite to know God? Does worship whet our appetite for God? Biblical worship always lifts us out of our own concerns and it creates in us a hunger to know God better. In some ways, the style of worship is almost irrelevant as people come in contact with the living God. Now, third, a great church has caring relationships with other believers. Verse 42 tells us that the first believers were devoted to fellowship, and the Greek word there means they shared things in common. The rest of the passage fleshes out that concept as we learn that they were all together. They met together in the temple courts. They ate together. The passage mentions three times that they ate together. We get the idea that they shared meals, and that played an important part in the life of the early church. Eating together is one of the marks of a united church. Sometimes it seems that if you want to get a group of people together, you know you have to provide coffee and cookies, doesn't it? And if you want to get a crowd together, you have to serve a meal. Sometimes people grumble about that. But it's not just a psychological fact that people like to eat together. It's a biblical truth. In the earliest days of the church, Christians ate together. Food and fellowship helped these young Christians to stay together and pray together and grow together in a very real sense of the word. You may smile when I say that, but these words are true. Someone coined the term, I heard one time, the first rule of church growth, if you feed them, they will come. I don't know if that's true or not, but these early believers ate together all the time. The church at one time was the social center of the congregation. You know, years ago, First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, uh, was ahead of its time. It began building lots of buildings, including a huge youth center, bowling alley, and so much more. 30, 40 years ago, that was a radical concept. But the pastor, Dr. Criswell, was a man ahead of his time. Today, many of the mega churches, the largest churches in America, do similar things. There are food courts, there are gyms, there are workout facilities, there's all sorts of things housed within the life of, the, of that church facility and they are attracting great crowds of people, not just to entertain people, but to be the social center for the congregation. This idea of togetherness is so important because we live in increasing isolation from each other, don't we? Our technology has made it easier than ever before to avoid human contact. Look at the average family. We have our own cars, our own rooms, our own phones, sometimes Our own lives some of us can work at home if we want to and we don't have to deal with any person face to face but our quest for more privacy always comes at the cost of enormous personal loneliness so here's the question I invite you to ask yourself who encourages you and holds you accountable in your Christian walk you see God never intended for us to go this life alone if the, if we can't answer that question we need to begin reaching out and starting to build some of those friendships into our life now fourth a great church sees the power of god at work through prayer we're going to spend a little bit more time on this next week but the final item in verse 42 is prayer the early church was devoted to prayer but don't skip past the next verse because i think there's an important connection here look at verse 43 A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And I wonder if those two things don't go together. You know, prayer, a sense of awe of who God is and God's majesty and God's power, and then wonders and miracles beginning to take place. Is it possible that miracles happened in the early life of the church precisely because the believers prayed so fervently that an atmosphere of, you know, an atmosphere of just reverence for God made it all possible. Matthew tells us that Jesus was not able to work miracles in some of the cities where he went because of people's unbelief. Could such a thing be true today? I know it's possible to go off on a tangent about signs and wonders, but I also think it's possible to go off on a tangent in an unbelieving direction as well. But I'm gonna leave all that to you to think about but let's remember the words of jesus as he cleansed the temple jesus said my house shall be called a house of remember this prayer for all the nations and people from uh christ intended that his people gather to pray and as they prayed they would pray for uh, including all the nations and people from all nations would come and pray with them and there's that's not an exaggeration to say that the christian church was born in a prayer meeting. By the way, do you know how Jesus invited us to deal with our enemies? Pray for them. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. It may or may not change them, but it'll certainly change your heart attitude. You see, we can either hate our enemies or we can pray for them, but we can't do, them, do that at the same time. The two things. A great church devotes itself to prayer. And while a church may be large and active without prayer, it certainly will never be a great church without the prayer finally a great church has practical ways to minister to other people the final mark of a great church comes from verses 40 to 45 and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need now these verses do suggest a kind of commune system of all sorts Of sorts in the early church and evidently the believers did life together a lot they lived in close proximity to each other and they combined their resources to meet the needs of the poor who lived among them i found it most find it most interesting that as far as we can tell no one told them to do that they evidently did that on their own and that concept is quite foreign to modern christians especially those of us in the west who value our possessions as part of our birthright. Why give up hard-earned dollars for the sake of the poor? In Acts chapter 2, the answer is very simple. They valued people over their possessions. They must have taken Jesus seriously when he talked about not laying up treasures on this earth. And this teaching is very threatening to many people today, so it's easier to find a way around it than to deal with it. And while I agree with those who say that we are not commanded to do exactly as those early Christians did, I also think we should not ignore their example. So, the question I have for you today is how are you using your gifts to help others in a very real and practical way? As I wrap up this message this morning, I want to leave you with an observation. Acts chapter 2 paints the picture of an, an attractive church. Here is a church that had no building, no staff. No programs, no choir, no organ, no parking lot, no gym, no contemporary worship, no... And most amazingly, they had no internet website to attract people to them. And yet they seemed to get along pretty well. And we learned that 3,000 people joined the church in one day and that people were being saved and added to that number daily, that's not bad wouldn't you like to be part of a church like that they had none of the stuff that we americans consider so crucial and yet they reached people by the thousands i'm not arguing that the stuff is bad only that their stuff scripture and worship and prayer and caring relationships and outreach is a whole lot better than some of the stuff we think is important i don't know if how many of you know this if you've been around redeemer a while you certainly will if you're newer to redeemer you might not but you have been building a church in zimbabwe for the last six or eight years began this connection when gloria came as a student with us some of you remember gloria and um, and uh, that was her home community it was a home church on the screen you see on the far left the church when we first began our connection to them living uh w- worshiping together sitting on the ground under a thatched roof as we began to send some dollars to buy bricks to buy concrete to buy cement blocks whatever um, this is what the top picture showed not all the interior had been done at that time but this is a congregation that didn't have all the stuff that we have here at redeemer and yet it's a church that's been filled with faith and energy for reaching people for jesus christ Maybe that explains why the church is growing fastest in many third world nations where they aren't encumbered by all the stuff that we have. Now, I'm not arguing that these external items aren't useful for the gospel they are, but it doesn't constitute the heart of a great church. What made the early church, the first century church, so attractive is it comes down to one thing and one thing only, they shared a common faith in Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, people gathered in Jerusalem from all points of the compass, Rome, Egypt, Crete, Cappadocia, Arabia, many other places. This early church sprang from a mixed multitude of different ethnic groups, skin colors, cultures, languages, but they shared faith in Jesus Christ, and that drew other people to them. The secret of the early church is that the believers were unified. Christ was magnified and the church multiplied. We're not duplicating that today. What happened in Acts is not unique. It's possible wherever the church, as the body of Christ, gathers, not simply as an institution, but as the body of Christ. God's plan still works today. Healthy on the inside, attractive on the outside, filled with joy, lots of good conversation, and the presence of God everywhere. Let's pray. God, we want to be part of that kind of church and we want to be that kind of people. We read these ancient words and our hearts cry out for this kind of reality. So show us anything in our life here at Redeemer that hinders your work and open our hearts to one another and to you and make us of one mind and one heart. And may unbelievers be attracted to Jesus by what they see in us. Amen.